Howdy, folks. Today, we're going to talk about 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. We're going to be talking about Gentiles being a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, unholy nation, a peculiar people, etc. Things that pertain to Israel of old that now apply to Gentiles. And this is important. Last week, we talked about the Jews being the builders that rejected our Lord Jesus Christ. We looked at that in verses 6 through 8. And this week, we're going to pick up with that thought as we go forward, because their rejection of Jesus is how through their fall, salvation comes to the Gentiles. Now, there are some logical th thoughts that we should have as Bible students. It's not that every Jew rejected Jesus. I mean, right when you started the first time the gospel was preached after Jesus ascended into heaven, there were 3,000 that obeyed the gospel, Acts 2 verses 1 through 41, and they were all Jews. So we know that all of the Jews did not reject Jesus, but as a whole, as a generation. Again, we talked about this last week. You might go back and re reference that lesson. As a whole, they did. Does that mean through their rejection of Christ and the Gentiles being brought in that the Jews are totally lost? No. And we're going to pick up some of these things. We're going to talk about what they mean and then get into our lesson. In Romans 11, verses 7 through 11, what then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it. Now, we're going to be talking about the chosen generation, the elect, as we've talked about in our study of 1 Peter, right from the first two verses of the, uh, of the letter. So, coming back, and the rest were blinded, according as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, ears that they should not hear, unto this day. And that is the time Paul wrote that letter to Rome. And he said, and David saith, let their table be made a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a recompense unto them. Let their eyes be darkened that they may not see and bow down their back alway. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid. You need to remember that statement. Does that mean that Israel is completely fallen? No. God forbid that. Notice what he says from there. But rather... Through their fall, salvation has come unto the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. So God's intent wasn't just to say, I don't want you anymore as my people. No, that's not his goal. But now that the borders of Israel have grown to include everybody and all on earth, I want you to look back at what you once had and desire to have that again. Not that that's going to change the Gentiles coming in. So how does it mean, or what does it mean, that through their fall, salvation's come to the Gentiles? Well, here it is real simple. Notice in Acts 13, 45 through 48, and this is a review that we've had from previous lessons. It says, when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which are spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said it was necessary 
that the word of God should first have been spoken to you, but seeing you put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation on the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord, and as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. And we see something similar in Acts 18. And other contexts too, but just let me give you this one more. Acts 18, 1 through 6, after these things, Paul departed from Athens, came to Corinth, and found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome, and came unto them. And because he was of the same craft, he abode with them and wrought, for by their occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned the synagogue every Sabbath, and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. And when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit, and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From henceforth I will go unto the Gentiles. So you see how they rejected the gospel. So what's Paul do? He turns his attention to the Gentiles. Now, again, if you're studying the book of Acts, you will see that that does not mean Acts 18 is the last time he preached to the Jews. No, he continued to preach to the Jews. He had a custom of going to synagogues. Even at the last chapter of the book of Acts, in Acts 28, he meets with Jews and preaches the gospel to them. But there in that instance, he turned his attention. So you can see the process of what is said in Romans 11 and verse 11, uh, you know, that through their fall, salvation's come to the Gentiles, how that process looked in those scriptures. We also need to understand the plan, God's intent, was never to include the Gentiles to the exclusion of the Jews. Now, we read Romans 11, 7 through 11. If we back up and pick up the first six verses of the chapter, Romans 11, 1 through 6, I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid. You see that again? Same thing we saw in, in our reading in Romans 11, 7 through 11, right? He says, for I also am an Israelite. So here's logic. Paul's an apostle, chosen of God. He's a Jew, right? I'm an Israelite, as he put it forth here. He said, of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin, God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew. What? Ye know not what the scripture saith of Elijah, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets, dig down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. But what saith the answer of God in him? I've reserved myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Even so then at this present time, also there is a remnant according to the election of of grace. And if by grace, then is it no more of works? Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. Now, like we have talked about in our studies, and we looked at it uh, last week, the Jews thought that they would be saved through the works of the law of Moses. That's not the case. At the same time, there were Jews who were part of the remnant, as there always had been and always will be a remnant of God's people on earth. So God didn't say, I'm going to choose the Gentiles and forget my people of old. 
the prophets verify. In Isaiah 49, 1 through 6, Listen, O isles, unto me, and hearken, ye people, from far. The Lord hath called me from the womb. From the bowels of my mother he hath made mention of my name. He hath made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand hath he hid me, and made me a polished shaft. In his quiver hath he hid me, and said unto me, Thou art my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Then I said, I have labored in vain. I've spent my strength for naught, and in vain. Yet surely my judgment is with the Lord, and my work with my God. And now, saith the Lord that formed me from the womb to be a servant, to bring Jacob again to him, though Israel be not gathered, yet shall I be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. And he said, It is a light thing that thou shouldest uh, be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel. Notice, I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles that thou mayest be salvation in the end of the earth. That's talking about Jesus. We know that because Luke 2, 22 through 32 shows us that. It says, when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, present Jesus to the Lord. As is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy Lord and offer sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves and or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same was a just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. See, as Isaiah prophesied, Israel and Gentiles. Paul confirms that. Remember the promise. The promise wasn't just for a new nation to be born, a new holy people to be born, and then the Jews be cast away. The promise to Abraham, you know, Genesis 22, 18, and thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because thou hast obeyed my voice. It's everybody, right? Remember, as we keep talking about, it was God's plan all along that Jew and Gentile would be saved. But what we're talking about, specific to our lesson, is more the focus on the Gentiles because that's primarily whom this letter is written to. People who were in times past not a people, but now are the people of God, which did not have mercy in the past, but now do. So it's important for us as we focus on the Gentile side of this, not to remember everything that we just talked about. It's not, hey, I'm trashing my people Israel. No. It's I'm bringing in a new people into the fold. And I want my people Israel to be there too. That's the plan. So don't lose that as we turn our focus. So our focus, the plan of God for the Gentiles to be part of who is his chosen people. In Isaiah chapter 11, verse 10 verses, there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, 
and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the kid and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And a little child shall lead them, and the cow and the bear shall feed them. Their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. And the suckling child shall play on the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put his hand on a cockatrice den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, what shall stand for an ensign of the people, to it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. So here's a prophetic vision about the kingdom of our Lord, about how those that were enemies will dwell together in peace and harmony and unity, being like Paul talked about, of the same mind and the same judgment, 1 Corinthians 1.10. And that which would have caused harm in the past no longer does. In that day, so that is the day that Jesus came and did his work and then set up his kingdom and reigns from heaven, the Gentiles seek our Lord. That prophecy, think about Romans 15, 8 through 12. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision from the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, for this cause I will confess thee to the Gentiles and sing thy name. And again, he saith, rejoice, ye Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and laud him, all you people. And again, Isaiah saith, there shall be a root of Jesse, and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, and him shall the Gentiles trust. You see, all that ties together. Isn't it wonderful when we can look at the words of the prophets and then tie them to what is written in the New Testament and then get that understanding. Oh, that's what that prophet was talking about, right? There are people that get these prophecies wrong all of the time. It's because they're not allowing the Bible to be its own commentary. So what we see in these prophecies that we've just got done talking about is from the cross forward. In Galatians 3, 13 through 14, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. For it's written, Curses everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. From the cross forward. In times past, that was a mystery. But in the church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, in the body of Christ, you got Jew and Gentile together. That mystery that the prophets kept talking about, like we've read some of already, is now made known by the church, that there is one body, that those that were once contrary to one another are brought together in Christ. Notice the wording in Ephesians 3, 1 through 11. Paul says, for this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, if you've heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me you word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery 
as I wrote a four and few words, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge and the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body. Now, hey, Ephesians 1, and 23, the body's the church, so it's of the same church, okay? He says, and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effectual working of his power. Unto me, whom the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be made known by the church the manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. So when we look at the church, that it's made up of the saved because the saved are added by the Lord to the church, Acts 2.47, you see people from all over the earth being part of that same body that same church which Christ's blood purchased on the cross, Acts 20, 28, and Ephesians 5, 25. So to our text, with all of that in mind, 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10 says, You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praise of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but now are the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So with all that we've talked about already in your mind, let's break this down. A chosen elect, that's what that means, generation. We covered this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, which reads, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, elect, again, chosen, elect, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace multiplied. Now, I'm not going to re-preach the lesson, the two lessons that we had at the opening of our study that cover this. But just remind you of the fact that these Gentiles are chosen of God. So what does all of this mean? Well, number one, what's the word generation mean? You know, is it just Gentiles in the first century? Well, Thayer's Greek-English lexicon of the New Testament, and it's numbered according to Strong's numbers, it's Strong's number 1085. That Greek word translated generation means kindred or offspring, family, stock, tribe, nation, nationality or descent from a peculiar people, the aggregate of many individuals of the same nature, kind, or sort. So when we talk about a elect or a chosen generation. We're talking about an elect or a chosen kindred, offspring, family, etc. When we look at the way that word is translated in the King James Version in the New Testament, we see it in you know, many verses, but let me give you a few. Mark 7, 26 says, The woman was a Greek, a Syro-Prophetian by nation, and she besought him that he would cast forth the devil out of her. In Acts 7.13, and by the way, there was the word nation. In Acts 7.13, it's the word kindred. At the same time, Joseph was made known to his brethren, and Joseph's kindred 
was made known unto Pharaoh. And in Acts 17, 29, it's translated offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the God has likened to gold, silver, or stone, graven by art and man's device. So nation, kindred, offspring, Gentiles, those who were not part of the Lord's people in the past, are now an elect, a chosen nation, kindred, offspring of God. For all of us who are Gentiles, which if you're not tracing yourself back to the bloodline of Israel, of Jacob, you're, you're a Gentile. This assurance is to us that we can be saved, that we are part and can be part of God's elect. It gives us confidence when we read scriptures that talk about like Acts 2.21. Here's a, a, a sermon to Jews, just like Acts 28.28. 28. Here's these two verses. Acts 2.21, shall come to pass. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And Acts 28.28, 28, be it known unto therefore unto you that the salvation of God is sent to the Gentiles and they will hear it. We, we can look at these passages. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord be saved. Gentiles, yes. Even though he's talking to Jews, he's pointing out every nation, including Gentiles. In Romans 1, 16 and 17, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. At me, me as a Gentile, you as a Gentile, we can say, great. The gospel was first preached to the Jew, but then to the Gentile. I can be saved through the call of the gospel. Anybody can. Right? Romans 10, 13. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Any one of us that hears the gospel of Christ can respond in an obedient measure. So when we're studying the Bible, and, and one of the reasons that you don't want to start your Bible study in the book of Genesis is when you get to the book of Exodus and you're not of the nation of Israel, you're going to feel pretty excluded. If you don't know that Christ came and gave the opportunity of salvation to all mankind, and the first thing you're doing is reading in order, you're going to come across passages like Exodus 19.36, or not, not, no, stop, Exodus 19.3 through 6, <laughs> I'm sorry, which says, Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if you obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be known or you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. Wasn't unto us Gentiles. That's why the language is, in times past we're not a people, but now are the people of God. This priesthood, this holy nation that we're now as Gentiles a part of wasn't available to us in the past. Now, in our context already, when we talked about 1 Peter 2.5, we've talked about you as lively stones 
are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. I'm not going to re-preach that. We have, and I'll remind you of this, been talking about being holy. We talked about it uh, in chapter one multiple times. Well, being made holy, you know, Ephesians 1, 1 through 4, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints were to Ephesus, to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be to you and peace from God our Father, from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Yes, we are holy. Yes, we are a royal priesthood. And yes, a peculiar people, meaning a purchased possession, a people to saving, Strong's number 4047. 40, and we see the scriptures confirm that. Ephesians 1.14, if you're to keep reading in chapter one, to the Gentiles who were in Ephesus, members of the church in Ephesus, says, which is the earnest of our inheritance unto the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory. When you look at Hebrews 10, 39, we are not of them who draw unto, back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of a soul. That's how we look at that particular meaning there, a peculiar people. That's who we are, people that are redeemed. And Hebrews 10, you know, that's written to uh, Jewish Christians. So again, not to the exclusion of one or the other, right? All of us who are in Christ, we are looking forward to the saving of our soul. And we talked about that, that in 1 Peter 1, 9. So all of that is a pretty large review of what we have already covered. Now, as we think about being peculiar people that are to show forth praises or show forth virtue, moral goodness, excellence of him, there are a lot of things to think about. I think about Titus 2, 11 through 14, that the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of that great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. That is just great commentary on 1 Peter 2 and verse 9. It really is. Every faithful Christian ought to be showing God's virtue, his moral goodness, his excellence. Our good works need to glorify him, not ourselves. In Matthew 5, 14 through 16, just said, you're the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick and give light unto them that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father, which is in heaven. So your good works ought to glorify God. People, I say, he's, he's like that because he's a Christian. She's like that because she's a Christian. Later in our study of 1 Peter, we're going to get to chapter 4, verses 8 through 11, where it says, Above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one another without grudging. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Christ Jesus or through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise 
and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So our works ought to be highlighting our God, not ourselves. And if we come back to Ephesians 1, he's done his part. He has shown his excellence by what he has done towards us in salvation. He foreknew or predestined, Ephesians 1, 5, and 6, us under the adoption of children by Jesus Christ himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us acceptable or accepted in his beloved. So when people look at God, he, they're able to see he made a promise thousands of years ago that he has kept all the way to this day in 2023, that through the seed of Abraham and through the words of the mouths of the prophets and through the promises and covenants that he'd entered into with the Jews of old, the builders, he's kept every detail of his promises through his son. Now, when we put all that together, we're called out of darkness into his marvelous light. You know, these beautiful statements like this that we have in the New Testament are so often ignored. If people were to just consider what this means, they would stop from sinning. They would cease all the service to man. They'd stop being part of churches that are of men rather than God. They'd stop their own will worship and turn to God. We are not called out of darkness into your light. You're called out of darkness into his light. In Acts 26, Paul is giving him a defense, verses 13 through 20. And he says, at midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun shining round about me. And them was journeyed with me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speak unto me, saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen and of those things in which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee, to open their eyes and to turn them notice from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God, that they might receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but showed first in them of the Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coast of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent, turn to God, and do works meet for repentance. That is a wonderful very simplistic explanation of what it means to come out of darkness into light. It means to turn away from Satan to God. It means to repent, do work for repentance, turning to God. Very simple, right? I mean, wonderful. 
Wonderful. To open your eyes and see light and start darkness. To turn away from the darkness and the light. God's done his part. Then you have to do yours. And that's prior to becoming a Christian. You're not turning from darkness to light as a Christian. You did that when you were called by the gospel. Remember, we are called by the gospel. We've talked about this. 2 Thessalonians 2.14, whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Into his marvelous light, folks, into the fellowship of light. I want you to think about some scriptures. Ephesians 5, 8 through 11. Gentiles again, right? We've been in the book of Ephesians here a couple times. We're going to come back to it again because the book of Ephesians is an awesome place to look to for explanation of us Gentiles being called into the body of Christ. Ephesians 5, 8 to 11. But you were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light. How? How? In the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what's acceptable in the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. I don't know how many discussions I've had with people who think that as a Christian, you ought to continue sinning. Matter of fact, more people than not believe it's impossible to stop sinning. Ephesians 5, 8 through 11, how can you read that? To be light in the Lord, to walk as children of light, to prove what's except the Lord, not to have fellowship with works of darkness. How can you read that and think you can continue in sin? How, how is it possible to miss that? It's only possible for those who want to continue to sin. That's how it's possible. Because our Lord expects those of us who call ourselves his people to depart from sin. Notice 2 Timothy 2.19. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. Let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. You're in the light now. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. You're in the light now. Now walk as children of light. And another point, Colossians 1.12 and 13, says, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us to be partakers of the inheritance of saints and light. So this is humility, right? Without God, I can't do this. You can't do that. Verse 13, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. So where's the light? In the kingdom? In the body of Christ? See how all of that comes together? It's wonderful. It's beautiful. First John I love this. <laughs> I'm just beginning at verse 1. That which from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled the Lord of life, where his life was manifested, and we have seen it, bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that ye may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship was the Father, and with his Son, Jesus Christ. In these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. 
If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as his son is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. If you keep reading all the way into, you know what? Let's do it. Let's keep reading. We don't have to rush through real quick, right? Keep reading. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not us. Where does this fit into that? Is this saying you can be a, a, a part-time sinner and a full-time Christian? No, because the context has already told you if you're in the darkness, you lie and do not the truth. This is talking about if you sin. This text says in verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just forgives our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the condition. You can't act like you've done nothing wrong if you have done nothing wrong. That's the consistent teaching in the scriptures. Even going back uh, into the Old, Old Testament, Proverbs 28, 13, he that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. So back to our text, we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and the word is not in us. My little children, these things write unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Now, how would you access that? You'd have to confess that sin. How would you also act and behave in that? You'd have to walk away from the darkness again, right? You went back into the dark, you have to come back out. Back to what we, we, we talked about in Acts chapter 26. That was just so very clear, verses 13 through 20. Verse 2 says, he is the propitiation for our sins, meaning he is the atonement for our sins. Not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Hereby we do know that we know him if, here's the condition, folks, we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is love of God perfected. Hereby we know that we are in him. He that saith, he abide in him, ought himself also to walk, even as he walked. You have to walk like he who is the light. To have fellowship with the faithful, with our Father, you have to walk as he who is the light. If you keep reading 1 John's a wonderful book, wonderful study, and you get into chapter 3, you know what the distinction is between those that are the children of God and those that are children of the devil? The distinction is who is sinning. When, when you look at 1 John 2.29 through 3.10, 2.29 makes the point that the rest of the context just very clearly verifies if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. Well, who's the sinners? Those, those that sin are of the devil. 1 John 3 and verse 8 says, He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. So we see all of this very clear. We are in his marvelous light when we are Christians. You have to then continue to behave in that way. You can't just say... Christ made me clean so that I can sin. In fact, you're forbidden from going down that road in Romans 6, 1 and 2. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. God forbid. How, that we, how, how can we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Folks, it is very clear to be God's chosen people you have to be in his light. In times past, now we got to come to that, where we're going to come back to the book of Ephesians. 
We're going to come back to the book of Ephesians here. And I'm going to have a little bit of a reading here with us for us. And we have, in previous lessons, talked about this in our studies of 1 Peter. But uh, this is something I do want to be repetitive on because it's important for us Gentiles to balance this. While we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation, a peculiar people, while we do show the praises of him that called us out of darkness into his marvelous light, we have to remember how we got here is not our own doing. Because in the past, without Jesus, we were nothing. So I want to read Ephesians 2, 1 through 17. It says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had our conversation in time past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in his mercy, for his great mercy, for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, for by grace are you saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Wherefore, remember, now notice, Paul was using us a lot in verses 1 through 10. He talked about we in verses 1 through 10. Notice the change in language. Wherefore, remember that ye, being in times past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye, who are sometimes were far off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Now notice how he comes back. For he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even law of commandments contained in ordinance for to make in himself of one of twain, one new man, so making peace, that he might reconcile both unto God one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to them that were nigh. For through him, we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. And then if you just keep reading, we've already read chapter three, verses one through through 10, 19 through 22, connect that. Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints in the house of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, and whom all the building fitly framed together growth unto the holy temple of the Lord, and whom ye also are built together for inhabitation of God through the Spirit. Paul recognized they both, Jew and Gentile, need Christ. But, when he talked about those who did not have that in the past, it was ye, right? Ye, not, not us, not we. We, Gentiles, are now part of what the Jews had 
of old, part of being God's people. And this was God's choosing. Like we talked about last week when we read Romans chapter 9, verses there like verses 15 and 16, for he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will mercy, have compassion on whom I will have compassion, so that it is not him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. Through God, we have this opportunity. And all of that, if you were to go back to Romans chapter 11, you were to go down towards the end of the chapter, verses 25 through 33, all of it's for all, right? It says, for I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so all Israel should be saved, as written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer. He shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant of them. I will take away their sins. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but as touching election, they are beloved for the Father's sake. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. For as ye in times past have not believed God, yet now have obtained mercy through their unbelief, even so have these also now not believe that through your mercy they may obtain mercy. For God hath concluded them all in unbelief that he have mercy upon all. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his ways past finding out. This goes back to chapter three, where Paul was making the point, the Holy Spirit had him put forth the argument that both Jew and Gentile were under sin. Hey, you all need a savior. Was it, hey, you Jews, you're God's people, so you got to somehow, you know, pass, go, and collect your salvation, using a little monopoly terminology there. No, no, no. We all equally needed Christ. Even though we as Gentiles were not God's people of old, the reset button hits. The gospel begins to be preached from Jerusalem forward in Acts 2, and all of us come to God the same way. Now, those who are not the people of God can be. Hosea 2.23, I will sow unto her me in the earth and have mercy upon her that hath not obtained mercy. I will say to them, which were not my people, thou art my people. And they shall say, thou art my God. And you know what Romans 9.24.25 says? It says, Hosea is talking about us Gentiles. Even us whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. As he saith also in Hosea, he says, O see, I will call them my people, which were not my people, and her beloved, which is not my beloved. Well, the scriptures just come together beautifully. Just remember, it is not to the exclusion of the Jews. The gospel, when Jesus commanded the disciples, and he said, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, all powers given to me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things which I have commanded you, and I'm with you all even unto the end of the world. There's not two paths. There's one, and it's through Christ. No man cometh unto the Father but by him. He's the way, the truth, and life, John 14, 6. Romans 2 and verse 10 says, Glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good, to the Jew first and also to the Gentiles. He is not the God of the Jews only, Romans 3, 29. He is also of the Gentiles, seeing it is one God who should justify the circumcision by faith and uncircumcision through faith, Romans 3, 29 through 30. And we've talked about scriptures. We've put them together, how we're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Galatians 3, 26 through 29 says, 
For as many of you have been baptized into Christ, put on Christ. There is not Jew nor Greek, neither bond nor free, male nor female, for you're all one in Christ. And if you be Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. There's not this division between Jew and Gentile. There's not the division in classes of people, etc., etc. We are one in Christ as other scriptures also confirm. So folks, there you have it. That's the breakdown of 1 Tim, Timothy, I'm sorry, 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. And I hope it has been edifying to you and maybe even enlightening in some ways. And maybe you put some scriptures into your process of thought that you had not previously included. What we're going to do from here, and, and, and this is where I wish we just had like 40 hours straight of these lessons. Because 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12 just picks up from this. Dearly beloved. So it's it's wonderful when you think of it this way. In times past, you're not a people. Now you're the people of God. Right to dearly beloved. <laughs> I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. This isn't strangers and pilgrims from the Lord because you're in the light, right? He says, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Now this ties into what we were talking about. You are a royal priest in the holy nation. It's time for you to act like it, right? He says, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. So this just comes back, picks up, and reemphasizes that you should sow forth the praise of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. But we're going to break it down a little bit more next week, and, and, and I'll try not to be too uber repetitive. But that's our lesson from now. I'm so very thankful that you have listened. I hope it's been beneficial to you. Uh, if all goes according to plan, Tuesday podcast is going to be Bill Lard and I talking about racism in churches. I hope you'll find that beneficial. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you'll tune back in. Until next time, I will say goodbye.